0: Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to the Blue Lake Presbyterian Church. The title to today's sermon is Stairway to Heaven, and it's based on Romans 10, verses 8 through 15. But I'd like to kick it off with something funny. And the country of Belgium is just south of Holland, it's only 150 years old. It used to be part of Holland and a part of France. And growing up in Holland, Belgian jokes were commonplace. So an Englishman, a German, and a Belgian get to the pearly gates at the same time. So St. Peter greets them, and he says, these are the rules. There are a thousand steps up to heaven, and every time you go up one step... I'm going to tell you guys a joke. And the first person who laughs is out. Doesn't go to heaven. So whenever you laugh, you're not going to heaven. So they go on. The Englishman gets to the 47th step. Can't contain himself any longer. Starts laughing, and off he goes. Then the German gets to step 152. He no longer can hold it in, starts laughing, and off he goes. So the Belgian just keeps going higher and higher and higher, and he finally gets to step 999. And he starts laughing. St. Peter says, why are you laughing? I haven't even told you the joke yet. So the Belgian turns around and he says, well, I just got your first joke. (laughs) the pearly gates portray this imaginary entrance to heaven. There is much speculation what heaven would be like, although David did a great job before the service. He played Stairway to Heaven, in case you didn't notice. And Stairway to Heaven, obviously a great song, was released by Led Zeppelin all the way back in 1971. It became a hit. It's often referred to as one of the greatest rock songs ever. It was placed number one, number 31 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. Our songwriter Jimmy Page said, I knew it was good, but I didn't know it was going to me almost like an anthem. It is the biggest selling single piece of sheet music in rock history. A total of a million copies of sheet music have been sold. Now, it's a great tune. And a fascinating title that stirs imagination and curiosity. How many books have been written about heaven as well, including 90 Minutes to Heaven by by Don Piper, or Proof of Heaven Heaven by Eben Alexander, or To Heaven and Back by Mary Neal. But then the book Heaven is for Real is the story of a four-year-old boy who during emergency surgery slips from consciousness into heaven. He survives, and he starts talking about looking down and seeing the doctor operating on him, and seeing his dad in the waiting room next door. He shared impossible-to-know details about his miscarried little sister, whom no one had told him about. And his great-grandfather, who had died 30 years earlier, before he was born. He describes the horse that only Jesus could ride. And here he recalls how really big God and His chair are. And how the Holy Spirit shoots down power from heaven to help us. How well, heaven is a subject that captivates the mind, and it invokes an intrigue about the afterlife. But it is also the subject of deep theological debate and passionate, differing opinions. Well, the basic question is this. If there is a heaven, what do we need to do to get there? And this is what brings us to the central theme of today's message. In his letter to the Romans, Paul crystallizes the concept of faith leading to salvation. In other words, he provides the road map to the stairway leading to heaven. Well, next Tuesday is Halloween. And Halloween brings great memories. Going to that pumpkin patch just outside Blue Lake. Dennis Potter's pumpkin patch. And, and going out there on a hayride. And select some of the pumpkins. And taking the kids out trick-or-treating on Halloween. But on this same day, Halloween... In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg University. Today is Reformation Sunday, commemorating the 500-year anniversary of this historic event of Luther nailing those theses on the door, an event that reshaped society as we know it. But the question is, what moved Martin Luther to do this? Now, Luther's actions were in great part a response to the selling of indulgences. And he also challenged the clergy regarding individual salvation. In other words, he questioned what was required to be saved, what it took to get to heaven. Albert of Brandenburg, the Archbishop of Mainz and Magdeburg, had borrowed a large sum of money to pay Rome to help rebuild St. Peter's Basilica and to get in good standing with the Pope for his nomination to the post of archbishop. Well, his creditors arranged to receive a cut of each indulgence, sold in order to recoup their loan. Albert's chief indulgent salesman, salesman was Johann Tetzel, a Dominican friar. Well, you may ask, what is an indulgence? An indulgence was a reduction, or even a release, of time spent in purgatory. And it could be obtained for yourself, but also for deceased relatives who were suffering out there. When Luther found out about all this, about the sales of indulgences, he was outraged. Luther, after having struggled to accept the grace and love of God, found that the thought of selling forgiveness was wrong and misguided. Luther was an Augustinian monk, a theologian, and a lecturer at the Wittenberg University. And while meditating and teaching on the letters of Paul, the Romans, clarity and revelation started filling his heart and mind. Luther wrote, I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary passion for the understanding of Paul in the epistle to the Romans. So at last Luther understood what Paul was trying to articulate. And that is, preach that the gospel is a gift by which God compassionately upholds us through faith in Jesus Christ. Now this brings us to today's reading in Romans 10 verses 8 through 15, which can be found on your pew Bible, second half, uh, page 160. So I'll give you a moment to look it up. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's letter to the Romans with over 7,000 words is his longest letter. 7,000 words read aloud will take more than an hour to read. That makes for for a long letter. It is believed to be the last letter that Paul wrote. And unlike all his other letters, this one was addressed to people that he had not visited yet while he was writing this letter. Renowned Bible scholars, Marcus Borg and John Crosan, in their book, The First Paul, (coughs) use biblical and historical evidence to make the case that of the 13 letters that carry Paul's name, seven are genuinely written by Paul himself. And they include 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st Thessalonians, Galatians, Philippians, Philemon, and of course, the letter to the Romans. In today's vernacular, Paul was a change agent, the ultimate evangelizer taking his gospel message to synagogues in Greece and nowadays Turkey. His target audiences were the Gentiles attending those synagogues. These folks that had a hunger and thirst of the soul, a need to be filled, but they had never been converted to Judaism. Paul was very successful in reaching the hearts of these folks with the gospel message. The letter to the Romans was the turning point for Martin Luther as the love of God through his son Jesus Christ was revealed. Luther wrote in his Commentary on Romans, This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth for a Christian to not to not only memorize it, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were daily bread of the soul. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. It is in itself a bright light, almost bright enough to light up the entire scripture. Oh. The flower business over the years, many things have changed. But the basic principles still remain growing the best possible quality flowers, providing great customer service, and treating team members well everything else will take care of itself. These principles outlast the type of flowers we grow or the customers we sell. The same goes for the principles spelled out in Paul's letter to the Romans. And Luther adhering to those principles 1,500 years later There was also a very personal dimension to Luther's affinity to Paul. Luther began to see himself, his own life, his struggles and vocation in light of the Apostle Paul's life. Like Paul, Luther was an embattled man. Like Paul, his seal for the gospel brought him into conflict with those compromising the message. Like Paul, the love of God had called him to take up the pulpit and the pen in order to proclaim the power of the gospel. Luther wrote, Paul's letters depict in a masterly fashion how faith in Christ overcomes sin, death, and hell and gives life and salvation in other words the roadmap to the stairway to heaven well paul spoke of the righteousness of god revealed at the cross god's never-ending love for us when luther realized this his whole world went upside down the bitter became sweet, and the locked sprang open. Luther wrote, Thus, that place in Paul's letter was for me truly the gate to paradise. Luther's views were condemned as heresy by Pope Leo X in 1520. Consequently, Luther was summoned to either renounce or reaffirm these views at a tribunal called the diet of worms in April of 1521 when he appeared before this assembly Luther was presented with a table full of copies of all his writings and he was asked if he still believed all the things he wrote and taught Luther respectfully but boldly stated unless I am convinced by proof from scriptures or by plain and clear reasons and arguments I can and will not retract for it is either safe nor wise to do anything against conscience here I stand I can do no other God help me Amen On May 25th Martin Luther was declared an outlaw. And Frederick the Weiss, one of the princes of Germany, arranged for Luther to be seized on his way back from this tribunal by a company of masked horsemen who carried him to a castle, the castle of Wartburg. And he was kept there for a year. During this period, Luther translated the New Testament and later the entire Bible. Well, a few weeks ago, a fire started here in Blue Lake, right above Blue Lake, on a Sunday night. It was fueled by a very strong east wind. And luckily, the fire departments in the area quickly were able to extinguish this fire. On that very same night, strong winds caused incredible fires in Napa and Sonoma and Mendocino. The destruction in those counties was indescribable. Over 200,000 acres scorched, thousands of structures burned to the ground. It is hard to imagine the power of a firestorm of that particular magnitude, or when Martin Luther published this 95 Thesis and his other works, it set off a firestorm of reformation throughout Europe. Seventeen reformers, including John Calvin and John Wesley, followed in the footsteps of Luther. British historian Andrew Pedigree highlights Luther's master role in the world's first first mass media-driven revolution. Luther realized the untapped potential of the printing press as a mass medium, and he used it to broadcast his message to lay readers across Germany, bypassing the traditional gatekeepers through this new social media the indulgence controversy was suddenly a public matter. And Luther cranked out one argument after the other over the next two years. By 1519, this unknown monk had become Europe's best published author. His 45 original compositions were republished nearly 300 times. And three years later, Luther had produced some hundred and sixty writings addressed to the German people in their own language. Well, growing up in Holland, I remember going to the church in the middle of the town, walking less than a half a mile from our house. That church tower was about 200 feet high it rose above all other structures in our town. Well, little did I know at the time that this church was among the churches that were the epitome of the Reformation. This church was originally built in the 1100s as a Catholic church. It burned down in the 1200s and then was again rebuilt. But in 1566, during what is called the statue storm or iconoclastic fury, most decorations and statues were removed from all the Catholic churches and destroyed by Protestants, including the church in our time. This started the Spanish War, with the King of Spain attempting to maintain Catholicism in his territory. Including Holland. Well, in 1575, the church in our hometown became a Protestant church. But a year later, the Spanish army destroyed the church and the entire town. The church was eventually rebuilt in 1648, and it's been a Protestant church ever since. In many of these old churches, a council room was added after the Reformation to host church council meetings. Well, this was a monumental change. Instead of a leadership structure, from the Pope to cardinals, bishops, and priests, the Protestant churches were led by church councils made up of parishioners, this concept of organizing local churches from the bottom up formed the foundation of the democracy as we know it today. Not only in church organizations, but throughout society. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for Athens nearly 2,000 years ago. After three days, he arose. Twelve disciples and other believers went out into the world to spread the good news, the good news message, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul became one of the most ardent evangelists that ever lived. His letter to the Romans formed the cornerstones of Luther's revelation that the grace of God provides salvation by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul said in Acts 13, 47, This is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Less than 2,000 years later, there are an estimated 300 million Orthodox Christians 1.2 billion Roman Catholics and 900 million Protestants for a total of 2.4 billion believers in Christ in Romans 10 12 Paul wrote the same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. Well this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father. But through me. That stairway to heaven. Is open <coughs> to all who trust. In the Lord don't wait any longer start a relationship with Jesus Christ accept him as your Lord and Savior today he will fill your heart with joy take you by the hand and you will be saved no questions asked a free pass up to the stairway of heaven Thank you. God bless you. Amen.